Welcome to season four of the Go Off Sis podcast brought to you by Target, our destination for celebrating ourselves and our success this year. Hello and welcome back to the Go Off Sis podcast season four. Okay, we are back in it, back at it, back on your necks with this fire from the booth. We are so excited to be back fresh off of our Podcast of the Year Award last year. So, you know, we are not only coming with content, but the budget this season, okay? So, in case you (laughs) forgot, this is the Go Off Sis podcast from Refinery29 Unbothered. And as always, our conversations are unfiltered, they are unshakable, and they are unbothered. So, let's get into it. So last year, we had our good and forever sis, Danielle Cadet, and myself as co-hosts. This season, we're welcoming some returning voices and some new ones from the Unbothered family. So let's go ahead and get those intros going. Steph, I'm going to start with you. Hello, hello, hello. It is I, Stephanie Long. I am the senior editor here on the U.S. side, and I am so excited to be back. It has been a hell of a year, and just to be back in this space and to be able to talk about everything that we have had to navigate and endure is just, this is going to be therapeutic. I'm, I'm so excited. Mm. Kathleen, reintroduce yourself to the peoples. All right. I mean, I'm Kathleen. Coming from the six as usual, but I got a new title, senior editor here in Canada. And like Steph said, I'm just so excited to be back. This is my safe space. I'm so excited to share some takes, to just kiki and learn and love with y'all. Let's do it. Mm. All right. And allow me to reintroduce myself. I am Chelsea Sanders, the newly minted VP of Brand and Partnerships at Unbothered. Finally up in this party officially. So let's get it started. All right. So like you guys said, last time we talked to you was a few months ago. And what a difference a few months, uh, days, hours. I mean, time isn't real anymore, so (laughs) none of that matters. (laughs) But we were just talking about this before when in thinking about this episode, we got mercury and micro braids every five seconds. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) I want us to shout out that 2020 showed us that Black women are queens at every level. And that is who we are celebrating and showing up for this season. That's it. Okay, we're leveling up and pouring all of that amazing energy back into ourselves because one, we deserve it. And two, we are tired. Okay, like big, mad, capital T, tired. Mm -hmm. And I think in thinking about coming back to the booth, it's actually marks this one year anniversary. Like, I don't even know what to call it. Of mm. this, like, panini that we are now in. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's affected us all in, in very different, distinct ways that we've talked with you guys about and been real and open with. So let's just start out and, and do a little wellness check because I know I have hit a wall. And I really just want to talk a little bit about what that looks like now a year later. Oh, I mean, I think we're all hitting that wall, Chels. I the fact that it's a it's a year to even put it in that timing and to talk about an anniversary. You're right. Anniversary sounds a little too happy. Right? Like, this is not a celebration. But 
to think of it in that 365 days, it just makes me even more exhausted. But it also is kind of like, wow, we survived a year of this. We're still here. So it's a little bit of, I don't know if I can take this anymore, but also, shit, I guess we made it this far. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing that we've spoken about in conversations outside of this, I know, Kathleen, you would have mentioned that, you know, during this pandemic, we've been hustling. And so a lot of us have been able to claim a lot of opportunities despite dealing with everything going on around us. But also within that hustle, I, I do feel like some of us are intentionally trying to stay busy so that we don't have to think about those chaotic events. It's a lot to process. It goes back to what I was saying last season. You know, now that we've all slowed down and we're in stillness, I always see that like that stillness and silence silence can be deafening. Mm-hmm. I also feel the opposite of that. Like you mentioned how I've been talking about this hustle. Like 2020 ended up being a year professionally for a lot of Black women that Mm. was prosperous. You know, I got promoted in 2020. Chelsea got promoted in 2020. You know, when I think of my friends and some of my sisters in media, we kept seeing all of these wins that, you know, we have deserved for years, but the racial reckoning happened. And finally, people started seeing that we deserved these opportunities. And so then we were dealing with being booked and busy in the middle of a panini, in the mm. middle of a panorama. And it, and it's like, we've all hit this wall and productivity has not been my friend this year, but it has to be. It has mm. had to be. Mm. Because I also feel like potentially these opportunities that are coming my way are fleeting. And that, is this energy gonna last? And I know that a lot of my friends have been feeling this as well. And so I am not being, I feel like I'm not being busy by choice. (laughs) I feel like it's necessity and that's even harder to to reckon with, I think. Mm, Okay, so you are saying so much here because, well, one, we've talked about this. Like, can we just stop calling it a reckoning? It is not Mm. an H. It is not an HBO special. Like, this is not the affair. This is not the reckoning. Like, it it is our reality 365. Mm. Do you remember that Boomcat song, The Reckoning, with Taryn Manning? Every time I hear that, that song starts playing in my head. I'm sorry. Anyway, continue. Taryn Manning? Yes. Yes. That was was my jam. About her. Shout out Crossroads. I haven't thought about Ooh. her in so long. Yeah. Wow. All right, Steph, with the music <laughs> knowledge, as usual. I'm so mad that Steph hears a beat drop every time we say racial <laughs> reckoning. Like, Mike Will made it. Like, <laughs> I can't. Get out. <laughs> really? But, like, also, like, fitting. You know, we're always going to throw a track behind something. So, you know that's going to happen. But I think, like... There's also, two. I, I realized, Steph, to your point, like, you know what? Maybe I don't have any hobbies. <laughs> I don't have any hobbies <laughs> at all. So I think it, it's really interesting to try to have both of those things at the same time, right? To feel like you have to be busy and that standing up and, like, showing up every day isn't a choice. It's just something that we always have 
to do. And I think it, it's one of those things where it's like, if not now, when, right? Mm. Like, who, who knows what, again, like next week, next month is going to look like. Steph, last time you were talking about early January when this Capitol Hill mess came on, you went to go get pizza. Half an hour later, the world was on fire. Like, <laughs> yeah. you just... <laughs> I, no, actually, I had, I, I went to look at the apartment that I'm sitting in now, um, and I was gone for, like, an hour, and I remember, you know, the new year had just started, we were about to get a new president, and I was feeling good, feeling great, and I left for that hour and came back, and my roommate at the time was just like, do you see what's happening on this television? And our jaws were just on the floor, mm. and it was so triggering because, the days after that, the week after that, it felt like a replay of summer 2020 during the the racial uprisings. And, you know, George, George Floyd was killed and, and Breonna Taylor, and we were mourning the loss of Ahmaud Arbery. And that was such a difficult time as a, as a digital creator, as a journalist, as a writer, especially a Black woman writer, because there was this responsibility to show up for our community and to make sure that these stories are being told with tact and with care and accurately. But then also I'm waking up in the mornings, like barely even wanting to get out of bed. You know what I mean? I remember being in meetings with our colleagues and and crying. I feel like I'm, I'm at a point where I'm like, I'm kind of tired of enduring shit. I, I'd mm. like to enjoy some shit, you know, mm, like, yeah, I, I, I feel like, if nothing else, we des- I deserve to enjoy some shit today, you know? So when we're, th- and when we're thinking about that, I feel like we have to sort of understand like, hey, what we could do two years ago, two months ago, maybe isn't what we can do now or even should be doing, right? Like, I feel like in thinking about 2021, even though it wasn't necessarily a reset, it was an opportunity for us to be like, all right, what are we saying no to, right? Like, what are we leaving behind in 2020 for sure and done with enduring? And Kathleen, I know you had some thoughts on this, so I'd love to hear you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I was inching towards this hard line in the sand, like I won't do this anymore before 2020, but 2020 really solidified it. And it is, I'm done educating white people about our trauma and about our pain and about racism, which... You know, I I kind of go back and forth between the privilege and the responsibility that comes with being in my position and being a Black journalist and a writer, especially in Canada. One of the few, there are amazing Black journalists in Canada, but there, you know, aren't enough of us that are still working and are able to make a living at this. And so I go back and forth between, you know, being grateful that I'm in this position and thinking, oh, it's my responsibility to educate and to tell people. And then 2020 came around and it was like, you know what? Google is free. As you say, Chels. That part, done. Did you hear her? Done. Finito. (laughs) Fin. (laughs) Curtain call. All right. (laughs) Take a bow. (laughs) Curiana. (laughs) Literally, take a bow, Kathleen. Because you, like, I feel like that's one of the things that, like, if nothing else, like, can I please just get some flowers for the just, like, civic engagement I've done, you know? Like, Mm. for the world on a day-to-day basis when it comes to educating white people. And I think we also probably get a lot of that because we do have this platform too, right? And we do have this sort of, again, like you said, responsibility to other Black women, to art, to the community. But 
we have to remember we have the biggest responsibility to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That part. <laughs> That. I don't know Art. why I just saying that. It spoke to me. <laughs> Pastor Sanders just brings out the spirit. You know, we, we had sing. to. We got. We're back in the pulpit. I got to dust it <laughs> up. You know, but like that, and I feel like that's also just like something to really like understand, right? Like each of us being accountable for our own happiness, right? And like, what does that look like? And. When we find that, like, who are we to tell someone else how to live, right? What it, Whatever it is they want to do. And I think as we sort of close the book on white people education, it's also a time for us to open up, like, the Black Tivities book, you know? And <laughs> think about how we talk to each other, right? And how we talk to ourselves. And who gets to call on the culture. hmm Absolutely. And I think that even when you shift that lens because we've been so conditioned to think of things through the, hey, the audience, I mean, this is a very like specific to media thing, but the audience is a white audience and you have to speak to them or whatever. But when we shift that thinking and start being like, no, we're talking to each other, we're talking to ourselves, which I think we do a really good job at at Unbothered. We also know that can be educational for an audience outside of us. So if we stop thinking about that audience and we think about us, the real learning and the work happens within our community. And then also if that uh, helps other communities or helps them understand a little bit more, cool, that's a bonus. But we need to focus in on us. A word. I, and I feel like here's the thing, and this might be a, a controversial opinion. I just find that when we focus in on us, it somehow then turns into always the the onus becomes still on black women, right? Like mm-hmm. no matter what, <laughs> you know? And mm. that is something that like if we're already getting it externally, like what how can we talk about and maybe shift the way we talk about each other and the energy that we're getting from our community? I'm just like thinking of like even just our good sis Chloe Bailey. And the Lori Harvey, Harvey's of the world of like, can't they just live their best lives? Mm. And like out here, early 20s, still got their edges and some hope, you know, like just living on a black ass prayer. Like, why can't we just let them live and love like they want to? Why do we need to have people like Boosie and random commenters out here telling our people how they should show up and show themselves and use their voices, you know? Yeah, you know, and it really, it really breaks my heart and grinds my gears in the case of Chloe, especially because if you open Instagram right now, there are thousands of young women who are doing the same thing on their timelines that Chloe is doing. And everybody's in the comments like, yes, sis, like I see you. But for some reason, Chloe gets all the flack. And it's also heartbreaking because, you know, I can remember my early 20s and that was a time of a lot of self-discovery. Like, you know, maybe you have just started college and you're learning a lot about yourself and you're coming into your own self-confidence. And I love this place that she's in. So to see her receiving so much ridicule just for loving herself, mm. like, and, and, and then also just, it, it just reiterates that it, it starts from a young age. Like she is so young and she's out here like, I am black and I am beautiful and I am going to own that. And everyone's just like, nah, like, no, you can't, you can't do that. And I, I don't want that for her. I really don't want that for her. You're right, Steph. We should just be celebrating that. We should just be uplifting her. 
and saying, yes, sis, instead of the policing and the trying to tell her what she should do with her body and the respectability politics that we always see, especially from elder Black folks. It's just so sad because you think, you would think that we've made enough progress to be past that. And clearly we're not. Progress is like such a funny way to think about it, right? Because I feel like his like we're it's cyclical in a way. Like in the same way that January felt like last summer, this past year could maybe have been 1965 too. Hmm. You know, so like, what are the things that we're actually learning? And also, like, who gets to be the gatekeepers of that culture, right? When we think about like who gets to say what is sexy or what is beautiful, like who are we looking to to tell us that? And I feel like. We're often looking externally when it sh- we shouldn't be even thinking about that or giving that. But it's also not realistic in this world to shut everyone out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And when you say that, I also sometimes I, tr- I just in my brain think of like the other side of it where it's these intra-community conversations or judgment is happening because of the pressures and the oppression that happens outside of our community, right? Like— White gatekeepers exist. We do live in a world that will judge us by our hair and judge us by our bodies. So it's almost to give people uh, the benefit of the doubt and maybe give them too much credit. It's almost coming from a place of protection. Some Mm. of it, some of this criticism, right? Could be coming from people being like, okay, but if you go out into the world like that, white people are going to judge you and this is what they're going to say. So I'm going to say it first. I don't think that that's right, but that's where it's coming from. Like there's just this societal oppression that limits us. And I think we need to stop internalizing that and then judging other people for that. Mm. This is like when my dad tells me I can't go outside and flip flops because people have expectations. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's just like really hit me hard when it comes to just like, okay, how are you showing up? But maybe I just want to wear flip-flops. That's okay. At some point, it's like, how respectable can you be? Because I'm still not getting that respect. Yeah, it's kind of like damned if we do and damned if we don't. So we might as well do what makes us happy and benefits our community. Because otherwise, we'll just be on this never-ending hamster wheel trying to, you know, get approval that we're never going to get. So, Yeah. Yeah, that's 100% true. But then I also, because I'm like so in this like Hollywood world by being a culture critic and constantly, you know, reviewing movies, living and breathing this stuff. And then when it doesn't get that respect from these governing bodies like the Oscars, the Golden Globes, the SAGs, whatever it is, I just think of a Black creator going into a room with the same people that make these decisions who can also finance their project. Mm. These same people who are responsible for the Golden Globes or who look at the Golden Globes as the gold standard are also the people who decide how many seasons a show gets Mm. or decide whether or not we get to see I May Destroy You from Michaela Cole. And so to me, that's why I'm— You know, I'm the girl on Twitter popping off every time the nominations come down because I'm like, we deserve that respect. And we also still, because of how the industry is set up, need that from these white gatekeepers again. And so it's frustrating. You're right. Like, I wish we could just be like the NAACP awards 
are what matters. And that person in a room greenlining a project cares just as much about the NAACP awards as they do about the Golden Globes or the Oscars. But right now, that's not the reality. It's not. And I think it's it's really hard to have both of those things be true, right? Because I find that, like, if I'm... Like, okay, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to watch the Oscars. It was like, we need to create a Bloskers, a Black Oscars, or the Brammies, you know, or the Bloden Blobes. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe not that one. We'll workshop that name. But we already have those. There are literally, like, the BET Awards, the Soul Train Awards, our music honors. Like, all of these exist, but... For some reason, and I think this also needs to be, this is on me. This is my accountability. Like, I'm not looking at them the same way. And that Mm. is something that, like, I need to shift in my mind too, right? So that we can start thinking, like, access and ability doesn't only come from these white spaces. Sorry, I'm like, I'm like just really sitting with that, like, damn, you're you're right. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And I also, I mean, I do want to shout out Okay, I'll give I'll give examples, right, of people doing it right because there is a roadmap. Someone yep. like an Ava DuVernay, even though I know Ava has like said some left stuff in the past, <laughs> but aside from that, you know, she puts her money where her mouth is with her Array uh, production company. You know, she is making setting the standard when it comes to hiring women of color directors. She is setting the standard when it comes to eliminating a gatekeeper outside of our community to be like, I will give you financing. And she's doing that with the privilege that she has accumulated through her career so far. So everything you just said, Chelsea, is right. But I also think it's like, here's an example. The example is there. And a Black woman did it, as we do. So follow that roadmap. And I I think that's a great point also just one Black women always have the recipe, just in case you were wondering. (laughs) And two, to think about, again, like, the idea of it, of us, it being okay to, like, not know everything, right? Mm. And to be able to say, like, hey, maybe someone else does, right? Maybe someone else has the words or has the language or has the resources to be opening up these conversations to bigger spaces and bigger communities. Um, Because I feel like even in our own community, certainly white people feel uncomfortable when it comes to these questions. But even in our own community, it feels like our shoulders tense up when we want to talk about some of this like intersectionality. And I wonder if that's something that's like a barrier for us to to not be having these conversations at all, right? I think so, for sure. You know, I think that specificity, yeah, Steph, we talked about this before we recorded, is really uncomfortable for people because you have to confront that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that once you get comfortable with being uncomfortable, like, yeah, I'm going to mess that up. You know, I'm probably going to get something wrong if I'm trying to talk about the disabled community or the LGBTQ plus community because I'm not a member of either one of those communities. But that's okay. That's part of how we learn and how we grow. And I think that everyone is just so scared to be specific because they're scared of making a mistake. But that's not living or growing. I remember speaking with activist Leslie Mack for How to Be a Strong Way Ally piece last year. And one of the things that she said was that white people have been taught via society and white supremacy culture 
that their feelings are the most important thing in the world. And therefore, their natural approach mm. to allyship is centered on themselves and how it will make them feel. Mm. So if you are asking them to explain why they are posting these black squares and they can't tell you, that's uncomfortable. And in that moment, that's all that matters. They're uncomfortable. They don't want to do it. So whatever. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's what they, emphasis on they, <laughs> were to Toni Morrison, take me out of it. They need to mm, figure that out. Me out of it. Mm. <laughs> I will always reference that clip because mm, I feel it in my soul every time I see it. Like, take me out of it. I'm, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. That, that's a you problem. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. And in, in case y'all didn't catch this, shade, that was also a subtweet to probably the hundreds of people, maybe dozens, I don't know, uh, uh, those who gave Instagram apologies uh, across over the last year. I feel like this is the time to retire the Instagram apology mm. and to just re- really reassess. So I'm going to just call out some names, like the Chris Harrisons of the world, the Justin Timberlakes <laughs> of the world. Okay. Miss, literally, take me out of it and uh, take Janet out while you're there. I just, okay? just want to emphasize Size too that like Janet Jackson still needs to receive justice like the, <laughs> like that the the apology the the what did he say they spoke behind the scenes that's not enough I'm I'm going I'm going to need a lot more yeah especially because the man Justin Timberlake first of all I got to say that I as a twelve year old tween was hoodwinked bamboozled and mm. led astray. Mm. by Justin Timberlake because I was a fan. I'm going to admit it. You know what? He feels like an ex-boyfriend who I don't understand what the heck I was thinking now in hindsight. But at the time, I was all about him. At the time, (laughs) Justified was a great album. Justified was was my whole shit. But he built that career on the backs of Black people, Black artists. Uh, That album was all Neptunes, Timbaland, Clips, and... Janet. Yep. Janet's on that yep. album. Take me now. Um, Fire truck. And he just, I mean, he also built his career off the back of Britney Spears, and that's a whole other conversation. But it just is so frustrating that he owes his entire career to Janet Jackson. Um, he left her out in the, uh, whatever the saying is, he left her for whatever during that Super Bowl situation. And then also, four years, he's had black women telling him, a lot of black women who used to be his fans, telling him that he owed Janet an apology, that he needed to make it right with Janet Jackson. And now, after this Britney Spears documentary comes out, and a bunch of white people, I'm sure, in his mentions, now he's like, oh, I saw, I saw your messages, and I'm real sorry. Are you, Justin, now? Now, can you tell that I'm I'm really not over this? Can't I just can't. You're also your Justin voice. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Literally though, and it's it's like it's all of those things, and I feel like it's one of those things where you're like, why did you even put Janet in this? It felt more disrespectful mm. to even like throw her in there. Like, nah, Janet deserves her own apology mm-hmm. and this is 15 years too late and like you said Kathleen if your offense is public then your accountability needs to be public too okay you do you do owe us that you know so when we're talking about who deserves what and who gets to police what well number one Justin is cut from all all of the idiot like allyship cookouts any of that <laughs> <laughs> literally you're out you're out <laughs> 
You're dead. That part. So what was like, we don't need Justin Timberlake. We got John B. And you know what? I I see no lies. Yeah, I'm a, I am, listen, I am okay with that. I am all right with that. I was just playing Plus You like the other day. (laughs) So look, we got options. All right. And I feel like that is just what we need to remember. Like, we don't have to keep going back to spaces that don't want us, don't love us, and frankly, don't deserve us, mm. point blank. And I'd like to be able to just say, like, good luck with that. Take us out of it. And, and really, Godspeed, because I w- I'd love to know what culture looks like without us, which really is the question. Good luck with that. And with that, my dear sisters, we have reached the point, one of our favorites in every episode, entitled Don't At Me. And just as a refresher for our listeners, whether you're new or been riding with us since season one, let me tell you about the Don't At Me. This is meant to tie a bow on our discussion, give us some food for thought, and remind y'all of the queen energy we've been talking about all day. And in case there was any confusion... Y'all cannot at us, okay? Nothing. Nunca. No. Nine. No. Heart emoji. And if you got any questions, concerns, or comments, like my fave, the dearly departed Whitney Houston said, you call my machine and I'll call yours. (laughs) Chelsea, you are too much. We are going to throw it back to you. Back to the Veep herself, Chelsea Sanders, for this episode. Go ahead. Take us to church, Pastor Sanders. Okay, my dears. I want to take a second, first of all, to say you're here. We're here. And if no one has told you today, I am so proud of you. And I am so proud of us. We are coming up on one full year of this Panera Bread, and if there is nothing else that I have learned in this past year, it is, one, front-facing camera still needs to be abolished. What I look like is none of my business, whether I'm in a ball gown or a bonnet. Two, you are not responsible for other people's feelings. But we ain't finished talking because we are responsible for our own. Just to be clear, 2020 brought us to our knees and 2021 may have us crawling on the ground already, but we're still moving. So let's talk about it. I was listening to someone last week who said to me, we have to live twice as hard to make up for the year we've lost. And we've lost and missed a lot. Parties, graduations, celebrations, loved ones, businesses, quality time. And that's true. And that is so real. And while I appreciate that everyone has their own journey, I am done doing twice as much for half of the pie. So we're moving differently this year. We talked a lot today about the work we do every day to explain ourselves to other people, and we're done. We had to get a little in the mess today for you because they had us in the first half, but it's our game. So we're setting new rules. Here's what we're not going to do. We're not sacrificing our bodies or our voices in service of someone else's. We're moving, but we're not chasing. We're not chasing validation or glorifying exhaustion or accepting half-truths and measured apologies because that's all we're going to get. Here's what we are going to do. Sit down when we're tired. Say no and mean it. Say yes and enjoy it. You don't owe anyone an explanation, an excuse, or an education. 
I got bonnet energy and I got ball gown energy. And both of those deserve my compassion, my grace, my patience, and my love. So that's what I'm giving twice as much of this year to myself. And that's the only thing we are each responsible for. The revolution resides in our joy and our healing, on our timetable, and in our voices. Whether you're in your final form or meeting yourself all over again this year, your presence is the only proof you need, the last credential you're presenting, and the final receipt on your word. Our power isn't a privilege. It is a birthright. Believe in that for yourself and for every sister that may need a little help right now. And we'll be here too, because we know who you are. We know whose you are. And in case you forgot, we're going to keep reminding you. Don't at me. This season, we're powering our purpose, living our passions, and reminding ourselves that we are the queens we worship every day. From the tools we need to be our best selves to the energy we deserve to make those dreams a reality, we are Black beyond measure. Target is investing in the success of Black creators with their year-round platform and dedicated support. Head over to Target.com slash Black Beyond Measure to learn more about how to power opportunities for our success. Activist, educator, leader, author, and Vogue cover star, Brittany <laughs> Patrick Cunningham is here today, and we are so excited to have you join us on the Go Off Sis podcast. Your perspective has just been so amazing and important, most especially this past year. You launched your new weekly podcast, The Meteors Undistracted, and you are here with us on our podcast to join, commune, and just go off. Welcome to Go Off Sis, Brittany. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, It is always beautiful to be in fellowship with Black women, so I'm completely honored to be here. Mm. And that is actually a great entry point to really start having this conversation. This season, we've just been talking a lot about being the queens that we are and stepping into that power. I think, you know, we're just quote-unquote, celebrated, we'll be celebrating the first year anniversary of this gosh dang panini. And we're talking (laughs) a little bit, you know, one year later, looking at what we've learned, you know, what we've lost, and really what we've loved. And, And trying to balance being good with ourselves with doing the work. And Brittany, girl, you are someone who does the work, okay? <laughs> Truly. And I, I love to just start out by talking a little bit about, you know, the work that you've been doing, um, not only, again, over this past year, but over your entire career. Absolutely. I mean, I think the most important thing for me to express is that I find it to be a unique privilege to be able to do work that is bigger than me and make a living at it. Because I know everybody is not able And so I feel deeply responsible to that commitment. I feel responsible to my ancestors. I feel responsible to my parents who raised me to live pretty much only this life. I really had no choice in this thing. If you if you knew Ron and Gwen, then you know uh, (laughs) that there was no other option but to choose a life like this. And I feel really responsible to my community, right? I recognize that I am one of thousands of people you could have come and talk about this, right? And so 
Yeah, I just, I really feel like the more I get to do that, the more I feel grateful for the opportunity. And everybody has a role in that. There are folks who lead the chance. There are folks who organize the campaigns. There are folks who feed everybody. There are folks who do the research. I believe myself to be in the role of a teacher and amplifier, if you will. So I, I do my best on whatever platform I have, the podcast, the book that I'm I'm hopefully going to be done with very soon, my social media, my speaking platforms, you know, NBC when I'm on there. I view every platform as an opportunity to speak and teach truth that moves people to action. To the last part of your question, the last year has been, I mean, it's been weird, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's been weird for everybody. This is not anything we could have anticipated or expected or planned for. It is literally our eldest elders who have lived through something like this because the last time we had a panorama was over 100 years ago. So nobody could have planned how to live through this Ponda replay. It was not, there There was no playbook. There's no, <laughs> there's I have no not heard blueprint that one yet, and that one might be my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, right? Like, shout out to Rihanna. But I just, there was, there was no way to predict that we would have a confluence of one of the most dramatic chapters in the Black freedom struggle in our lifetimes play out at the same time as a pandemic that is also killing Black people disproportionately, um, at the same time as one of the most dramatic and consequential elections of our entire lifetime, where despite all of the things against us, Black folks continued to show up and show out in ways that looked impossible. You know, you you got out there on the streets this summer. You didn't see the kind of chaos that you saw on January the 6th at the Capitol. You saw people handing out masks and hand sanitizer. You saw mm. people making sure that the aid and protection that we needed on the streets in order to raise our voices collectively was felt and was real. You know, it, it's so interesting because when you sort of list out the things that we're dealing with all at the same time, I feel like my shoulders just like... Uh, like, it just, uh -huh. it's all on us at once. And I think, one, one, we were just talking about Toni Morrison, who is one of our North Stars. And I know that your podcast is actually named after a Toni Morrison quote about yeah. doing the work and making sure you stay undistracted. So can you talk a little bit about how you make sure with all of those things going on, like you stay undistracted and focused on that work? And is that you saying no to things or how do you make sure you stay on task with this work? It is absolutely me saying no to things, <laughs> which I feel really proud of because I feel like I just started to learn how to do that in 2020. Right. Like mm. in a real way, not in like a temporary way. And just to go back for a second, like you said, that quote and we're, we're recording this on Toni Morrison's birthday. Right. So I feel the presence of the ancestors, her and Audre Lorde uh, share this beautiful day. And what Toni Morrison said was that the function of racism is distraction. It is to keep you from doing your work. And really, you can map that onto every injustice. The function of transphobia, homophobia, mm. Islamophobia, mm. anti-Semitism, misogynoir, ableism, all of it, is to keep us in this constant, repetitive action of proving that we are human enough to be respected. Mm. What if we retract our tacit approval of that system? 
What if Mm. we get off that hamster wheel? What if we decide to stop centering dominant culture for long enough to realize we don't have anything to prove to these folks. <laughs> and actually what we can what we can get serious about doing is creating solidarity and building power amongst ourselves and anybody else who's smart enough to join us, right? Who recognizes that they're not free even if they lead privileged lives that they're not free until we're all free. And so that's what we try to do on the podcast to build community to have the conversations that are not being had in mainstream media. We have a segment called Untrending News where we try to bring up the things that are not being talked about on television, you know, or in um, your mainstream papers. So this past week, our conversation was about prison abolition. My good friend Kayla Reed, who's an organizer in St. Louis, we met on the streets of Ferguson. She's She's the executive director of Action St. Louis. We talked about what a future free of prisons looks like. There have been uprisings by incarcerated people several times in the last month in our shared hometown of St. Louis. And I don't know about y'all, but I haven't seen that on anybody's nightly news broadcast. And yet there is power being displayed here. Power for us to learn from, power for us to be in solidarity with. And all of that power gives us an opportunity to say, what will the other side look like? What will it look like to free ourselves and our oppressors from the systems that harm us all, including jails and prisons? So we talked about that. And in our untrending news section, I talked about a man named Joe Ligon, who was convicted to life without parole as a juvenile at 15 years old. And I want to say now that he's in his 80s, is finally seeing the light of day. He was he was incarcerated in Philadelphia for decades. America is the only country in the entire world that puts young people under the age of 18 away for life. And again, these are conversations that are not being had in mainstream spaces. So y'all know, because you're doing it yourselves, building the table and not having to ask anybody for permission for what to talk about, but just creating it and making those choices ourselves. Hello, executive decisions. Like, it feels so good to say, this is what we are going to discuss, to have a team full of people who get it and who you don't have to explain all of this to because they understand the importance of building a community of undistracted people. And it's not to sit there and say, woe to us all week. It is for us to have disciplined enough hope to get clear on the scale of the problem and remind ourselves of our collective power and ability to change it. So yeah, that I'm really, really proud of the podcast. I hope that we are doing Toni Morrison proud. I hope the people, when they turn off, go off, sis, go listen to Undistracted. <laughs> you know, we're we're pretty, pretty new here. We started in the in the middle of the pandemic, which is kind of a wild thing to do, but we were like, people need the truth all the time. So let's try to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Literally. All mm-hmm. the time. And one of the things that, you know, we've talked about on this podcast a lot and the kind of gut check we do a lot is who we're talking to and who we're representing mm. as Black women on the stages that we have and in the spaces that we create. And I love your social media platform because you have this huge following that does not just include Black women or Black people, but it still Mm -hmm. feels like it has this for us energy. And even though you're educating, it doesn't feel like you're, you know, making these like base level infographics just for white people, which is a a trend that we're seeing. (laughs) I I don't even know if I can explain why it doesn't feel right, (laughs) you know, but how do you walk that line between 
educating because there is so much misinformation floating around and mm-hmm. also still, you know, speaking to your community. I really appreciate that because the I spent a lot of time a couple of years ago trying to crystallize what I felt like my purpose was in this phase of my life. And I had done a live podcast where I was the only Black person on stage mm. for a time because Nicole Hannah-Jones was the guest. So I was, but it was like the biggest stage I had been on to that point. It was Radio City Music Hall. I did uh, Pod Save America Live. Mm. And a friend of mine came and we had dinner afterwards and he's not Black. And he was like, you know what I appreciate about you? It is clear who you are bringing with you every single time I hear you speak. And that was like the biggest compliment everybody, anybody had ever given to me. And it also let me know where the bar was for myself, right? That like, if you are ever unclear (laughs) about Mm. who I am bringing with me and what I am here to represent, then I need to go back to the drawing board and hold myself accountable. So I really, I appreciate that reflection very much. I try to ask myself a couple of questions before I post anything. One is, is it true, right? Like, is there information that I am missing? Um, Do I have the receipts? (laughs) Because if I don't, I shouldn't be saying it. Uh Two, is it helpful, right? There are things that are true that aren't necessarily helpful to say. Maybe 80 people have already said it, and you actually don't need to add anything to it. Maybe it's true, but it's not actually going to move the conversation for it. It's just petty. So maybe I don't need to actually press send on that tweet. And then the third thing I try to ask myself is, is somebody else saying it better than me? You know, Mm. I have plenty to say about, for example, what happens to indigenous communities, but I'm not indigenous myself. Mm. And so there are folks that I follow, folks I can amplify, folks whose work I can help fund, um, that I can share with other people that should be getting that spotlight. And so when I'm at my best, I'm asking myself those questions and I'm trying to let God lead me on, on what to say. And then I'm not I'm not talking more than I listen, hopefully. you, Anybody who watches my social media closely knows that there will be entire spans of time where I don't say much of anything because um, I'm not interested in kind of keeping up keeping up appearances for visibility's sake or keeping up engagement numbers. Like, I didn't ever know I was going to have this many followers and I, I feel really responsible to them and to myself and my purpose. So I don't ever want to abuse these platforms because I'm just seeking the limelight or the spotlight or the, you know, the engagement numbers or whatever, because I'm, I'm not an influencer, right? I'm, I'm not somebody whose livelihood depends on how many people liked and shared my photo. I am somebody who tries to help activate other people to participate in change making. And so I just, I try to do that deliberately and with intention. <laughs> No, like when we talk about Queens giving you the recipe, Brittany just gave you a three-point plan to like not run up to get done up on social media. She gave us a cookbook. Literally, it's quite simple. (laughs) So speaking of, you know, having grace for the people around us and just being very aware of how we are engaging with one another, you know, something that we've also been talking about is just how we show up for our community and each other and, and how we hold space for those that we love and support. And we are just so obsessed <laughs> with the dynamic between you and your husband. How <laughs> does activism fit within those dynamics of your relationship? What was it like to be photographed by him for the cover of British Vogue? It was such a gift. Well, I will tell you, activism fits right at the center of it because we met each other at a protest. <laughs> mm, I love that. So, I mean, 
those people who are like, oh, you're not going to a place to meet, you know, the kind of partner you want. I was like, well, I met my partner in exactly the place to let me know we shared the same values, which is the beautiful mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> and I feel really grateful. We're both from St. Louis. We were both protesting the death of a young man named Von Derrick Myers, who was killed by police just a few months after Michael Brown, about 30 minutes south of of where Michael Brown was killed um, on the south side of St. Louis. And, you know, we be- we became instant friends. So we were friends for two years before we started dating because our friend Diana thankfully got in our business and asked us why we weren't dating each other because she saw chemistry that the two of us, well, that I didn't see. He had a crush on me, but I didn't see the chemistry. But I'm glad she finally got in our business <laughs> because um, I got out of my own way to see how beautiful companionship built on mutual respect and shared values can be. That like for all of the beautiful romantic energy between the two of us, especially during this Pacifica, I am very glad that we just really like each other. (laughs) Right? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm very, very glad that we um, enjoy spending time together because we've been spending a lot of time together and spent almost our entire first year of marriage in uh, quarantine. And so I'm grateful because he is a man who thinks about having low ego and high impact like all the time. Mm. So he is not somebody who is intimidated by how public I am. In fact, he is incredibly supportive. He is somebody who anticipates my needs before I have them. So, you know, if I eat lunch on time, nine times out of 10, it's because Reggie put in an order. He is somebody who... I think, sees his contribution to the work of justice, both through his art as a photographer and through building a strong foundation of Black love. Because being able to have this port in the storm that all people deserve, especially Black people deserve, is a thing that wasn't promised. Oh, that is the dream. For everybody listening, we're all like just hard eyes. (laughs) We're all melting into our microphones right now. What factory we get one of those? <laughs> oh my god! I literally have been saying this to everybody, like, <laughs> like all year. Oh my gosh, dream partner. Speaking of <laughs> dreams, being on the cover of Vogue is a dream, and the title of your upcoming book is "We Are Like Those Who Dream." Yeah, and you know, coming into this year and coming out of 2020, and just the the chaos that we all had to endure. What are your thoughts on dreams? And what is what is your dream for yourself? And what is your dream for us as a community going forward? So I have borrowed that title from the good book. Uh, it's Psalms 126. It says, when the Lord shall turn against the captivity of Zion, we shall be like those that dream. Mm. So this idea that like when freedom comes, our greatest dreams will be realized, right? That those things that we didn't even know we could dream, those things we didn't even know we could imagine will be made manifest. And because my book is a combination of personal essays from me and the speeches of Black women throughout history, I believe that it is the wisdom of Black women who help us dream those dreams, right? Who help us be bold enough to imagine the future as it can be and not as it is. Because dreams are the seeds, 
right? We will, I'm a former teacher. And the very first thing you learn when you become an educator is that your students will reach whatever expectations you set for them. So if you Mm. set the bar low, that is, Mm. that is how, that is where they will jump to. But if you set the bar high, they are more than capable of reaching it as long as you give them the community and the tools and the love to do so. And that's like what we owe ourselves to, right? To set the bar as high as we possibly can. And then actually to plan backwards from what we can dream, to believe in our own power and humanity enough to know that even if it looks impossible, it's not. And we come from generations of people who made the impossible possible every single day. So I'm dreaming of a world where like Black people can thrive and where the thriving of Black men doesn't come at the cost of Black women, mm. where the thriving of Black cis people doesn't come at the cost of Black trans people, mm. where the thriving of Black abled people doesn't come at the cost of Black disabled people, right? I mean, we can keep going on and on with that, but the thriving of all Black people all the time, everywhere, not dependent on your zip code or your nation of origin or your income or your you know educational status. That is my dream. Because I believe that that's a world where everybody is free. We have been learning how to survive for so long in a country like America that treats thriving like a privilege that it's going to take our imagination to actually break the bounds of that. Hmm. I mean, I feel like we need to sit with everything you just Mm -hmm. said, but we also want to be cognizant of your time. So this is the last question. I love on your Instagram, your random thoughts. (laughs) And so we just want to end the conversation on any random thoughts that you would like to share with us. So before I do that, the first random uh, the first random thought that I have is that everybody should actually be following my, especially all the Black women, should be following my friend Stevie Ellum because she's like actually the queen of like these notes. And I, you know, they're not the same, but she just is, she will like text you just a totally random thought that you'll want to sit with for the entire day. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a couple of random thoughts. One, that I find it hilarious with an asterisk that Ted Cruz... <laughs> gets to escape the hell he created to a country he tried to block from immigrating to, to America. Like, the, mm. uh, the caucasity, the pure caucasity is amazing to me. Also, related, Texas is not red. It is suppressed. And just like we saw Georgia go blue, I fully believe that Texas can be the next place, not because voting is the end-all be-all, but because building power bases can come through the expression of fighting back a system that tries to suppress your vote. And so there are some great organizations and organizers in Texas powered by people, which was started by Beto O'Rourke, who should be in Ted Cruz's seat right now if Ted Cruz hadn't suppressed his way to victory. Mm. Let the church say amen, okay? (laughs) Pastor Sanders, she's coming for your title. (laughs) Truly, you can have it, honestly. Never that, never that. No, you are in the pulpit just (laughs) spitting bars. And Mm. I just, I want to say thank you for being one of those people who shows up every single time and for your imagination, for your education, for your energy. It is so felt and so necessary. And from one group of queens to another, just we love you. 
Thank you oh, so much. I love much. you all too. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you, you know, for filling in gaps and showing up in places where everybody ain't able. So you are oh. definitely, definitely appreciated. The Go Off This Podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Rashad Isaac, Shirley Williams, Jordan Mason, and me, Chelsea Sanders. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Kathleen Newman-Bermang and Stephanie Long. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram, at R29Unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. Money world.